0: Well, before I do the reading, I just want to say really quickly that um, just as we get our hearts prepared and our minds right, that we don't serve a God who is a mute idol or a God of our own imagination. We serve a living God who, by his divine nature, he is love. And so with with the reading we're going to do today in John, think about that. Uh, starting in verse 9, John 15, just as the Father has loved me. I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no other than this, has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all, all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another.
1: Well, this morning we'll do something a a little bit different. That is, our John will be taking a a break this morning through the expositional study of the book of Ephesians. And I will be bringing you a topical message uh, entitled, No Greater Love. Tomorrow is both the observed and the traditional day for Memorial Day. This only happens every few years now because in 1971, Congress changed the traditional observed day of May 30th to the last Monday in May. And for some, Memorial Day has simply become the holiday marking the beginning of the summer season of barbecues and vacations, and then Congress purposely moved Memorial Day to a Monday so it would make for a long holiday weekend. And sadly, it seems as if most people have forgotten the original reason Memorial Day became a a national holiday. And our national observance of Memorial Day dates back to 1868, when General John Logan, who was commander-in-chief of the Grand Army of the Republic, proclaimed May 30th as a special day in which to honor Union soldiers who had died in the defense of their country. And on that day, their, their graves were decorated with flowers, and hence the observance was also called Decoration Day. And the selection of May 30th is attributed to a Virginian of French descent named Cassandra Moncure who may have selected this date because it was the day of ashes in France, and that was the day that Napoleon's remains were returned to France from St. Helena. And there is some debate in our history as to the location and date of the first observance of a Memorial Day in the United States, and the federal government eventually got involved and in 19 or excuse me in 1966 decided that the birthplace of memorial day was waterloo new york since on may 5th 1865 the people there had honored the soldiers who had died in the recent war and i mentioned the, the history of memorial day because The history and meaning of our traditions and our holidays certainly tend to change over time. If we're not careful, the purpose and the meaning for them can eventually be lost altogether. And the observance of Memorial Day was originally started in this country in remembrance of those who had died in the war between the states. And since that time, those who have sacrificed Their lives in the service of our nation in any war have been added, and additionally, since 9-11, first responders such as police and fire who have died in the line of duty have also been recognized and honored as part of the Memorial Day observance. Well, the failure to remember and honor the sacrifice made by those who have gone before us will lead to a failure to preserve the very things for which they died. It's also important to set aside a time to remember the sacrifices of others as part of our worship of God. In Romans 13, verse 7, it instructs us that we are to show honor to whom honor is due. And in doing so, we gain a greater understanding of of the meaning of God's providential hand in redemptive history, which in turn gives us a greater confidence and hope that we are certainly facing uncertain times at this current point in time. Well, there's many examples throughout Scripture of setting aside certain days or objects of remembrance. For instance, in Genesis chapter Nine verses 18 through 17. There, as Moses has written, those first five books of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There we read in Genesis chapter 9 how God established the rainbow as a sign of His covenant that He made with Noah. And in this covenant, the Almighty would not flood the earth again so as to destroy all flesh. And the rainbow was a reminder of both God's judgment in the past And also his promise in the future. And then recall in Exodus chapter 12 and 13, the Lord ordains the last plague upon Egypt, which would eventually result in Pharaoh releasing God's people from their captivity and from their enslavement. And you recall in this last plague, the firstborn of each household would die unless... The blood of a sacrificed lamb was placed on the doorpost in the lintel, in which case the angel of death would pass over that particular house. And the Lord then established the feast of Passover as a yearly reminder of these events and the freedom at the hand of God that resulted from that. And then recall in Joshua chapter 3, record the miraculous crossing there of the Jordan River on dry ground and how the lord had directed the levites to carry the ark of the covenant into the river and as their feet touched the river the water stopped flowing and the river bed became dry and then a man from each of the tribes then collected a large stone from the middle of the river bed and these were stacked on the opposite side of the jordan as a memorial and the purpose of of this was that when future generations of children would ask about the stacked stones, the story of the crossing would be retold. And it was important for the Jewish people to remember their history and God's providential dealings with them. In another example, recall the book of Esther. That records the plot of Haman, or Haman to annihilate the Jews that were living in Persia or modern-day Iran. And the plot was eventually reversed by the efforts of Queen Esther and the, established the Feast of Purim, which is still celebrated to this day. And that was established in order to remember those historical events and where the people came from and God's dealing with them. And memorials or objects are just not of particular days or sites, but also And what's been written, you go back and you look at the Psalms. King David wrote both Psalm 38 and Psalm 70 for the express purpose of being a memorial of what God's done. And you read those in one of the opening lines, as a memorial is stated there. But remembrance and recognition of these things is not only important for the nation of Israel, but it's also important for our nation as well. We have particular days of remembrance such as Memorial Day that we're going to be celebrating tomorrow. And there are certainly particular sites such as cemeteries. You think of Arlington National Cemetery. Many of you know my father recently passed away in April. He was a West Point graduate from 1956. He will be buried at Arlington National Cemetery with full military honors and They are so backed up right now because of conditions that we're looking at next year, uh, September of 23rd, uh, that will be his 90th birthday. But there is a place where we can recognize and remember people that have sacrificed. Think of uh, over in France, Normandy. You think of the rangers that stormed and and climbed that cliff at Pointe du Hoc, how men going in uh, facing death. And we remember that today as people my son's had the privilege of being able to visit uh, that particular site. Uh, think of battlefields. Think of uh, Gettysburg. Uh, think of Antietam. Uh, think of places where these, even over in Arkansas, at Pea Ridge uh, of the lives that were lost there. Think of the museums that we have, the Holocaust Museum, to remember great evil events and tragedies of history so we would never forget. These are all particular objects that cause remembrance such as uh, think of monuments, think of the Vietnam Wall, Uh, think of uh, Pearl Harbor, perhaps those that have been there. These are all monuments to remember the sacrifices that others have made. And as you travel across this great country, you think of the memorials and signs and markers, you know, a historical marker here, a crossing here, things that occurred throughout the history of our nation that we would not remember those who have gone before us. And even more importantly, in the New Covenant, we find that there is a commanded ordinance of worship that is to be regularly observed as a memorial, particularly one of remembrance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul, again, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he's writing to the church there in Corinth, he explains the purpose and the reason behind the Lord's Supper, and he explains its history and the meaning, and he cites Jesus' own Words you remember in the upper room where he instituted this observance, this memorial. And Jesus said that both the bread which represented his body, a symbol, if you will, and the cup, another symbol, which represented his shed blood, and to be partaken, particularly, he says, in remembrance of me. And this is one of the reasons why we absorb or excuse me, observe the Lord's table on a weekly basis. It's a memorial, a remembrance that we not forget. That it was our Lord who establishing this new covenant that he has removed this heart of stone and put in this heart of flesh and written his laws upon our hearts and is causing us to walk in his way in obedience to him. So we do that on a weekly basis with all the things of this life and the hardships, as Brandon talked about, and others that come and assault us on a regular basis that we would not lose our side of Christ. We would not lose our hope that we would find encouragement in Christ who has sacrificed for us. And this memorial is to be observed by members of his body, the church, as a proclamation of his death until he returns in a visible bodily form. And this is why we do this as a remembrance, a memorial, and obedience to the commands of our Lord that instituted this particular ordinance along with believers' baptism to be administered and observed in his church. Well, a general truth regarding those that engaged on the front lines of battle or involved in any really life-threatening situation, regardless of their politics or ideologies, concepts of freedom, or even a threat to home and personal safety, the primary reason you will find talking to people that have been in these situations, the primary reason for self-sacrifice is the preservation and protection of those that are present with you. And Jesus commended this type of sacrifice in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, he says. Remember, we love him because he first loved us. And then he says in verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That particular verse is inscribed there in Langley, Virginia, at the CIA headquarters on the wall with all the stars of CIA officers that have died. And believe me, I've been to my share of funerals over the years, police funerals, where that verse is often cited for those that die in the line of duty well the stories and accounts of those who have given their lives in demonstrating this kind of love they abound Uh, you just read the account of any medal of honor recipient or someone who's won a medal of valor Uh, think of those who have shielded others with their their own bodies to save other people when they're people that would throw themselves on a live grenade to protect their fellow soldiers or others or those in a mass shooting that would cover up their children or someone else to lay their body on top to give their life to protect another. Think of those who have charged an enemy position facing certain death. These are all heroic acts of valor. And the value of human life is so great that the value of other things can hardly be compared to it and hence Jesus' statement. You know, the great value of a friend is ultimately demonstrated when that one gives their own life to extend the life of that friend and such action is only generated out of a great love and self-sacrifice. And I ask you this morning, what should be the response of someone Who has laid down their life for another. Or somebody that's maybe laid down their life for you. I've I've personally experienced people willing to do that. And I I, I would submit that the appropriate response would be extreme gratitude and thankfulness. That someone else would be willing to do that on my behalf. Perhaps somebody doesn't even know me. And that's why Memorial Day has always been such an important holiday among veterans and those that have served on the front lines as compared to the rest of the general population, because many veterans personally know the price someone else paid that allowed them to live. And they desire to remember and honor those who willingly sacrificed on their behalf. And as a country... We remember and are grateful for the lives that we've been able to live in relative safety because those who have placed their life in jeopardy in the past and those who give their lives to secure the freedoms that the rest of us enjoy. You know, Winston Churchill has been recognized by some to have said, we sleep safely at night because rough men stand ready to visit violence on those who would harm us. And we need to recognize and be thankful for those that are willing to put their life on the line each and every day so that we might rest secure at night. And as great a love as it is for a man to lay down his life for his friends there is one Person who has demonstrated an even greater love. You know, Jesus continued in John 15, beginning in verse 14, he said, telling his disciples, he said, in, beginning there in verse 15, he said, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then verse 17, we see this repeated throughout the commands of our Lord and the law of Christ. This is, I command you, that you love one another. You think of the old hymn, and it's one thing for me to sing what a friend I have in Jesus. <laughs> it's quite another when Jesus says that He has a friend in me. <laughs> Recall James 2, verse 23, and the Scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. <laughs> it's amazing to think that the Almighty, the sovereign creator of all things, would call his creatures his friend. And we think about this, and perhaps you can begin to understand Jesus dying on behalf of his disciples since they were his friends. For that would simply parallel what has been seen in the lives of men who have died to protect their family and friends in the past. However, Jesus' love went Far beyond that, there is no greater love. Think of Romans chapter 5, verse 7, where Paul writes, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. And this would certainly seem to be a slightly higher level of sacrifice and, and love, and yet something fallen men have demonstrated of being capable of doing in rare incidents throughout history. You know, this is a theme for those that have read Dickens' book, A Tale of Two Cities, if you recall that, in which Sidney Carton there eventually takes the place of Charles Darnay at the guillotine in revolutionary France because Sydney values Mr. Darnay as a good man compared to himself. But Jesus' love, the greatest love of all, goes far beyond that fictional account. Can there be a love greater than a man laying down his life for his friends or someone dying in the place of a good man? Yes, there is according to the Word of God, but no human could do it. So it would take God and human flesh to demonstrate this ultimate kind of sacrificial love. Listen to what Paul wrote. Romans 5.8. Listen to this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, his people, his church, his bride. There may be a rare individual among us who might die for a righteous or a good man, but who would die for sinners? (laughs) Who of us would do that? You think of a good soldier out of love for his fellow soldiers might put his life on the line for their benefit. But you ask, would that soldier put his his life on the line or give his life for the sake of his enemy? No. Yet that is exactly what Jesus did. His death was not just on behalf of his friends. He willingly made himself the sacrifice needed to forgive, redeem, and reconcile his enemies to God. That's love amazing, so divine. We sing, who can comprehend something that deep? You know, we know that sin is is missing the mark of... Of God's perfect will, and it's not only like you're. We've illustrated this several times. It's not like you're just, you know, trying the best you can with the arrow to hit the bullseye on the target. Because of our sin nature, we're not even looking at the target. We're over here shooting away from it. That's the depravity of man because of his sin nature that he's born with. But sin is, is, is more than just that. Sin is also enmity or hatred towards God. For sin is rebellion. Sin is lawlessness that is firmly set against God's holy law and just laws. Scripture is clear on these things. You know, the Apostle James made it clear that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. James 4.4. 4. And Paul explains in Romans 8 that everyone who is in the flesh cannot please God, for the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God an enemy of God. We will not have this man to rule over us. (laughs) That's the natural condition or desire of the man. We will not submit. We're sovereign. We will not bend the knee. But we do know that every knee will eventually bow (laughs) and recognize Christ as Lord over all. Because every one of us because of the federal headship of Adam was born in sin, we go forth from the womb speaking lies. It's not this idea that's promoted in our culture that children are a blank slate. If we could just socialize them differently, no. (laughs) They're conceived in sin. They're of their father, the devil, if you will, by nature. We need a new nature. That's the hope of the promise of the new covenant, a new heart, if you will. Because Jesus said in Mark 7, it's out of the heart that sin originates. You need a new heart. You need new desires. You need new affections. You need a new understanding. That's what the new birth accomplishes. Jesus explained to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. You must be born from above in order to perceive or understand the kingdom of God. Because you're spiritually dead in your trespasses and sin. You need to be made alive by the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit. And each of us are born in sin and each of us practice sin. And because of that, it brought us under God's just and holy condemnation, resulting in death and eternal separation from Him. For the wages of sin, according to Romans chapter 6, is death. You want to get paid for your works? The wages is death. Eternal separation. Cast into outer darkness. The thoughts are so terrifying. Yet Jesus came and fulfilled the requirements of the law and became the perfect and final sin offering for those who came. He came to save and to set free his enemies. He came among his own. The scripture says his own didn't receive him. They rejected him. You know, none of us could have any hope of getting an acquittal, a pardon, or even a reduced sentence based upon our own merits or works. For even our righteous deeds are as filthy rags before a holy God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God gives us that gift of faith. God grants repentance that we would turn from our sin. Nothing else, nor no one else could ever be our substitute for either they would stand condemned themselves, any other human being cannot take our place, or the object or the thing were not of equivalent worth, as in the case for every animal sacrifice that ever took place. It was only a temporary covering of the sin that was they were continually offered. Those were nothing but pictures and types and shadows under the old covenant of Christ that was coming to establish that new covenant in his blood, a, a better covenant based on better promises. That's why the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. They couldn't do it. It would take God Himself becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ to bear our sin, to become sin for us, to offer Himself on Calvary's cross in our place as our substitute in order to pay that sin debt. No one else could do it. As I've often said before, and every other religion tells you what you've got to do for God. <laughs> you know, you want to get into glory or heaven, you've got to do this, this, and this for God to appease and please God. Christianity is what separates it. No. <laughs> Instead of you martyring yourself and dying for God, God died for you. <laughs> no man could come up with that. <laughs> No man would devise that in the human flesh, that kind of religious system or system of works. The divine reality of the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. That God has died for his enemies and in their place. And when I speak about the death of Christ, I want you to know, number one, it was voluntary. He laid down his life. John chapter 10, verse 18, No man takes it from me, the words of Jesus, but I lay it down myself, the sovereign, the creator of all. I have power to lay it down, and he said, I've got the power to take it up again. All authority and power has been given under the Lord Jesus Christ. He reigns supreme. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And he says, this commandment I have received from my Father, and I have come to do his will. Well, not only was his death voluntary, it was also vicarious. I've got the alliteration of the V's going here. <laughs> and that's a term we don't sometimes use as much today. But vicarious basically means Performed or suffered by one as a substitute for another, or to benefit or the advantage of another. In other words, his, Jesus' death was not for himself. He didn't have to do that. It wasn't necessary. He who knew no sin became sin for us. His death was for others, his people, for all that would believe and trust in him. So his death was voluntary, his death was vicarious, and finally, it was victorious. You know, many of you have probably read Owen's book, What the Death of Death and the Death of Christ. He defeated death, he defeated the devil. John 19, verse 30, when Jesus had received the vinegar as was foretold and prophesied, he said, it is finished. That means it's completed. The work that I've come to do, I've finished. It was not that it is finished, it's over, as if there's no hope exists, I've been defeated. It was anything but that. It was a cry of victory. And he said he bowed down his head and he gave up his spirit willingly. And three days later, we're told he arose from the dead to live forevermore at the right hand of his father. And we're going to see him someday. Well, this forgiveness and reconciliation is extended to all People of every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, the four corners of the earth, as the scripture said, God will call his people, his elect from. It's extended to all that believe and trust alone in his finished, perfected work. And not only do we find forgiveness from our sin, it says, to them is given the right to be called the children of God because they are adopted into His family. John chapter 1, verse 12. Not only have we been forgiven and justified, we've been adopted and treated as sons and friends, friends of God. To inherit every spiritual blessing has been secured for what our Savior has done on our behalf to people that were undeserving, who had no hope. Your manner of life and the way you live of those who genuinely believe in Christ will change as a result of the work and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Spirit, Jesus says, I'm leaving you, but I'm sending another of the Comforters just like me. And he will guide you into the truth. And he will empower you to live according to the law of Christ that has been written on our hearts as a promise of that new covenant which Jesus established in his own sacrificial blood, which we observe at the Lord's table. A genuine Christian that has experienced a new birth and has the new heart of the new covenant, a genuine Christian strives and desires to live a life of holiness out of honor and love for Jesus who died for him. Earlier I asked what is the appropriate response towards someone who laid down their life with their friend and the answer was thankfulness and extreme gratitude how much more than the same response towards Jesus who laid down his life for you while you were yet a sinner and an enemy and hated God and were not seeking him he said "You didn't, you didn't choose me, I chose you and you love me because I first loved you and I've loved you eternally Before the foundations of this world, I've set my love upon you, and nothing can separate my love that I have for you. Matter of fact, the Father has given you unto me as my bride, and you're going to be spotless and perfect. And I will lose none that the Father has given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. And you will be a beautiful, spotless bride in my presence at the marriage feast of the Lamb, and that's what we look forward to. And these are promises from the Almighty whose character is revealed in Scripture as one who cannot lie and has the power to carry out what he says he's going to do. And we have recorded history that shows God's providential working to the culmination of whenever that is at the appointed time, the perfect time when our Lord comes again. And we are to live obediently and faithfully with desire to look upon his face and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Because he's causing us to work in his way. We've been set aside and created under good works. We're accepted in the beloved because of our union in Christ of what he's done. Well, tomorrow we give special recognition to those who have died for the cause of freedom and liberty. Or in an effort to protect others that are in harm's way. And what they have done is heroic and noble and it should be remembered and honored. And we have received the benefits and the sacrifices of those men and women's lives over the many years. And we should be thankful. However, we also call on all men everywhere to remember, to repent, and to turn and honor and give respect to the Lord Jesus Christ above all for he alone demonstrated the greatest love of all. And he extends the greatest gift, which is forgiveness of sin. And he gives eternal life to all that will believe and trust in him alone for salvation and redemption. There's a story, an account from the war between the states, between the North and the South, in which a couple of young Confederate soldiers were overheard praying. Before the bullets began to fly, they were overheard praying that if there were those in their company that must die in the coming battle, that it would be them. Because they knew the Lord. And they were ready to face death if they were well prepared for eternity. They prayed that God would be merciful to spare their brothers in arms, that they might yet repent and come to a saving knowledge and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Such is the heart of a genuine Christian. And may each of us here this morning live with a similar sacrificial mindset as we learn to love one another here in this body and others outside. May God be merciful to grant repentance to those, perhaps here this morning, who have not yet believed in order to be redeemed from their sins and reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. There is no other name under heaven which is given by which men can be saved. He is the perfect Savior for sinners. He saved to the uttermost. And all who call upon his name and faith will be saved. I ask you now as we partake of the Lord's table to reflect on these truths. To have a heart of gratitude and worship towards what our Lord has done. He willingly laid down his life on the behalf of his people.